people in this industry realize who comes and goes and they remember. And just because times are tough doesn't give you any excuse to get out. And it doesn't give you any excuse to not continue to do the right thing. And so, you know, you and I both continue to support the industry. It's challenging, but it's not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And I think the people that we engage with hopefully aren't going anywhere. But, um, you know, it's it's important, I think, that we do this, and, and, and more of it needs to be done. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oilfield 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We are in the Fletcher Azul Tequila podcast studio in Houston, Texas. That is uh, always a mouthful to say. Uh, my name is Josh Lowry. I'm one of the hosts of the show. I am joined today, as usual, with the host extraordinaire, David Road. David, how are you, sir? Doing well, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is an interesting week. It's about to be like real summer. Vacations are kicking off and people are coming back. We're sending our kids to camp next week, like for a week. It's the first time they've ever been gone. So are they really going to get to go to camp? I think so. They're going to Kanakuk up in uh, Missouri. Cool. And there's a couple little things they, they have to do with regard to masks and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think they're going to be gone. And 
Christy and I are pretty excited about it. No kids for a week. And uh, what would, are you guys going to do? I don't know. I'll probably end up working. I'd like to say I'm going to do something fun. We're going to go to Fort Worth one day just to kind of hang out up there on our you way sound back. sound like John Daniel in vacation spots, Fort Worth. And well, we're going to Colorado five later. Five days with the, with the wife. With no children. No children. Well, what should we do? Get loose, get wild, baby. Yeah, that's. I'll, I'll, I'll see if how far that goes. Yeah, it sounds good. I, I'm a big talker. Well, so this is a, an interesting podcast. First of all, it is. This is going to be an interesting podcast to do because this is. We are now one full calendar year into when we launched our first episode, which was Jamie Stewart last April, and we are. We're a little bit delayed on what we were going to do. We were going to do the best of 2019. So it's only June. We're making it. But we're going to do the best of our first 2019 guests. And uh, I thought that this would be a good time. You know, everyone's on vacation. They're going to drive. So we're going to give them something to listen to while they're cruising to Missouri or cruising to wherever they're going to, okay? Yeah, no, I think it's good. You know, as you know, we started this kind of as a, a hobby, uh, one to, you know, given the different groups we're involved in in the industry and kind of this void in this communication that that uh, we weren't hearing or seeing from the industry about the industry, given all the negative information that's out there, a lot of misinformation that's out there. And quite frankly, I've been pretty pleased. Obviously, you know, from my day job life, and I know from your day job life, we're not anywhere near where we hoped we would be. But we did that. We've we've turned this into a little bit of a business. Not that we're it is just for tax purposes and anything else. But you know, it's as, it's been an interesting ride. I mean, it's one been of the bigger, we, don't you one think? Of the things we've been talking about is you know just kind of the progression of things where we started. You know, we had a third partner that was originally involved with us there. We had a little bit of divorce. We had to go through. Still friends on the oh, outside yeah, definitely. just didn't work out. But you know, that's a business disruption and. Uh, you know, trying out various bits and pieces of equipment and different folks. We got Jonathan, the man back there in the sound booth. He's just been a huge asset to us. Hadn't he been unbelievable? Produce some great, yeah, great content. We've upgraded our equipment. I mean, I still sound like shit, but I sound a lot better than I did. And, you know, for me, going from running <laughs> 9 million miles an hour to coming in here and focusing for a second, it's a tough transition. The nice thing is your offices are just right down the hall. So, and you like to talk all the time. I so love you, to you, talk. You know, but to something you said earlier, and I'll shut up in a second, no. is that, you know, we've, we've, I think we've come a long way in a short period of time and we've, we've accomplished a lot, which I had a really hard time agreeing with that, but, but seeing some of the, um, and hearing some of the uh, feedback from people, seeing some of the statistics in mm -hmm. terms of where we rank based on the release of some of our guests has just been shocking, yes. to say the least, that somebody would find value. And I think what's been cool from the conversations that we've had with our guests thus far is that they are completely raw, which is awesome. Yeah. You don't get that. I think that's aided by the fact that most of our guests, we know them. You know, we know them personally, we know them professionally. In some cases, we work with them. And and so it just allows for a, a better conversation that I think you're not going to get. And the messages that, we, that we'll be talking about yeah. here in a minute that we get from these guests, they're relevant today 
particularly today, because so much of it is geared around grit and tenacity and hard work and culture and people and uh, teamwork. That is a message that seems to be getting distorted and lost. And if anything, that needs to be you know, amplified and broadcasted out in a t- in the times that we're in now where there's a lot of negativity with COVID and a lot of other stuff that I don't want to get into. The messages and the bits and pieces we're going to talk about and pull out, they're timeless. Yeah. And, and I think it's only getting better. And the slate of guests that we have lined up to come on the show is nothing short of crazy you know, and amazing wh- and awesome. It's just this damn coronavirus screwing up people's travel yeah. and, and this, that, and the other to get, get scheduling taken care of. And then, of course, some of the other headwinds. But Well, listen, what you're, you're throwing a lot out there, but what really has been amazing to me is how many people listen to the show. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, I can, I, I, I can definitely understand uh, why we wouldn't think there would be uh, a lot of folks <laughs> listening, just the two of us. But um, certainly with our guests, I mean, phenomenal people. Some some of our guests are notable, known quantities. Uh, Some of of them are not. But the the message that all of them more or less is delivering is pretty consistent throughout, which is is fun to hear. Well, you mentioned uh, a notable name. So what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to go through. We only did four podcasts in 29 for some of the reasons – that uh, David just mentioned. And we did we did more of those, but a lot of those actually didn't get aired for different reasons, uh, primarily because David and I were practicing. And what you'll notice if you're listening to David today versus the clip that we're about, and not just David, I'm not singling you out, but if you listen to the, the clips we're about to play, you're going to notice two things. Number one, microphones have increased tremendously. <laughs> our, our initial microphones sound like we are trying to talk through a can and a string. It's unbelievable. And then two, just the comfort level we have behind the microphone now. It's, it'll, I think you're going to notice a noticeable difference. But to that point of some of the names that we have, you're about to hear uh, Jamie Stewart. Jamie is a uh, – the Stewart name is, a, is kind of Houston oil and gas royalty. Uh, Stewart and Stevenson, his brother Rob. By the way, his, his Rob was pretty funny. You know, as soon as Jamie went, I was like, well, wait a minute. Where, how come I haven't been on yet? So – yeah, and we'll have to get Rob on too. He'll be great. But yeah, one of these days we'll get Rob on there. <laughs> but st- so you're going to go through and you're going to listen to Jamie Stewart's story uh, about his uh, time of leaving Stewart and Stevenson, which his family had founded uh, over 100 years ago, and his how heartbreaking that was that he wasn't going to be the uh, running it one day, and then also how he got started with some of his other ventures afterwards. So enjoy this little clip. Uh, we'll be back to you in a minute, but enjoy the clip with Jamie Stewart. Uh, Jamie was great. Loved the, loved having him on. So enjoy this. We'll see you in a minute. And I wanted to lead it one day, uh, but life has different ideas for me. And and that's what brings me to where I am today. Sure. So talk to us about your foray into starting your own business, Surefire. Obviously that, that kind of gave you that experience and has carried you on into to Inquest now. But before we do that, I actually I, I want to stay on that point just because okay. it's it's a subject that's a little dear to my heart. When you say <clears throat> you wanted to lead that and you didn't, and because I've made some notes, so you were there fourteen years yourself. Obviously, the family business was the family business for a long time. Yeah. How difficult was that? To I'm sure your sights were set on that your entire childhood, college, early career, and then at late thirties, early you know whenever that was gone. So it was extremely emotional. I'd be lying to you if I said tears didn't come to my eyes when I told 
my boss and my boss's boss, the the CEO at the time that I was leaving Stuart and Stevenson because I had in my mind that one day I wanted to lead it. I told the CEO of the company several years before I decided to leave that I wanted to lead the company one day. But the company was purchased. It was not part of my family. No steward or Stevenson other than myself was still involved in the company mm. when I left. And so it had been taken in a different direction. And it was somebody else's company at that point in time. Still had my name on it, still had my family's name on it. And I was still very proud to, to see that and to represent it. And so even though it wasn't part of my family anymore, it was a very emotional decision to, right. to leave. I, I can imagine. So I, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I think, that's, I think it's a good point to add a little bit more foundation mm-hmm. to kind of kind of what you did next. and. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, you and your brother Rob, and kind of how how all this stuff kind of came about? We were coming out of the financial crisis. You know, it was a major downturn, not just for the oil and gas industry, but it was a, a major downturn for industry in general and the world in general. I and mean, the whole world was affected by the financial crisis. But we could see some uh, sunlight starting to peak out and I'd made my decision to leave and I announced that I was leaving and I had opportunities start coming my way. Didn't really know what I was going to do when I left. I knew I wanted to go to work with my dad and my brother. I could tell they were having more fun than I was at that point in time, even though they'd been through some really tough times with the the crisis also. I was going to go work with Supreme Electrical Service, which was the company at the time my brother and my dad had. I was going to build a business rebuilding equipment out of Supreme Electrical Service. We would form a new company. And just as we kind of came to the idea that that's what what I was going to start, the fracturing industry was uh, starting to come back and people were starting to get the order books were filling up, the lead times were getting longer, and there was a lot of growth in the industry, a lot of new companies right. uh, forming for the first time in many, many years in the frac industry to go take over the, the the frac services and perform fracturing services. This is about the time that I really heard your name for the first time and with our friend Hector. And I mean, that world was booming in that time. I mean, it was all new to to everyone, really. Yeah. It was booming, to say the least. To, to to have the opportunity to create a Surefire Industries USA was just a function of how crazy it was at the time. I was talking to a company called Bayou Well Service about doing different things for them, uh, maybe even being a buyer's representative and helping them find the best equipment and making sure that they made the best decisions in terms of purchasing. And as I'm sitting there and doing that, a gentleman from Canada came to me and, and asked me if I wanted to start his business in the U.S. I actually politely turned him down and said that uh, I wanted to work with my dad and my brother, and, and that was the focus, but let's keep the discussion going. As I got to thinking about the opportunity that Bayou Well Service had and how, how I could participate in the Bayou Well Service opportunity, started to come together that maybe we could build a manufacturing company, but I needed engineering resources and I needed purchasing resources or else I wouldn't be able to commit to $20 million worth of material to help supply the equipment. I wouldn't be able to find a building. I wouldn't be able to uh, hire people. Uh, we wouldn't be able to make drawings uh, that we needed to deliver. So went back to this gentleman that I'd met uh, that I knew from Canada and said, hey, you have engineering resources. You have purchasing resources. I have an opportunity here and I think we can capitalize, but we're going to have to work together. 
And so how Surefire was born, it was actually born at Pezzatola's Barbecue. Uh, it's a great place. Yeah, it's yeah. a great spot. Uh, Jerry <laughs> does a good job over there. Uh, that was uh, the, the birth of Surefire. I was actually sitting in the president's uh, Bayou Well Service office going over my proposal when his preferred supplier, I'll name names, it was United Engines, called him and said that they'd sold his delivery slots out from under him. Bayou hadn't put the money down yet, and so they went ahead and sold it to somebody who had put their money down. And I was sitting right across from the president of Bayou Well Service, and he looked at me and he said, Jamie, are you fucking serious about doing this? And I said, you bet your ass I'm serious about doing this. And he said, well, your proposal only has one fleet, but uh, we're going to need two. And so Surefire was born. All right. Hope, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the clip with Jamie Stewart. He is, uh, he has really, it's been post-interview becoming closer with Jamie. He really enjoyed doing the podcast. I would agree. The, uh, Jamie's talked about it quite a bit. We've gotten a lot of feedback uh, from it. Jamie's been a, a good friend for a long time. And, you know, certainly there's there's a little bit of rivalry between he and his brother, Rob, who, you know, is a larger guy and has been begging us to come on the podcast. <laughs> we might have to have him on here one of these days. Well, so speaking about rivalries, our next uh, guest is that you're going to hear is a guy named Scott Miller. And now, I didn't know Scott before we did the podcast. You did. And I've gotten to know Scott over the last 12 months. I love Scott. He is great. He is one of the most competitive people I've ever met. And what's really funny is Scott was actually our first podcast. And we we aired Jamie's first and then Scott's. I don't remember exactly why that was. I feel like there was an editing editing issue. But Scott has not let it let me forget that he was the first one. And he doesn't understand why he wasn't put out first. And the other thing is, if you look at the downloads... Scott is actually ahead of uh, Jamie Stewart in total downloads. And I kind of joked with him. I said, man, that's amazing that you're ahead. And his daughter, Sarah Millerin, was telling me, she's like, yeah, that's because Scott's out there promoting to people. He's selling the pot. He's like, hey, make sure you go download this. So he's very competitive. <laughs> he wants you to go. So if you just hear this portion of it, you got to go back and download Scott's podcast because he can't stand not being in second place or not being in first place. Well, kind of, kind of the kind of the early early part of the podcast, and and trying to figure out how to get people comfortable before we start this. You know, I was jabbing at him a little bit, uh, just to try to just to try to rile him up, and I don't think he was expecting that when I <laughs> gave him a hard time about going to the uh, Air Force Academy when I clearly knew he went to West Point. Yeah, he intentionally said that. Well, he he played he basketball up there too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's a competitive guy. Uh, again, I've gotten to know him. He, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate him coming on. So you're going to hear a couple different stories uh, uh, from Scott here in this next little 10-minute clip. Uh, but ultimately, what you're going to hear out of him that that I was the big takeaway for me was he is he works in these smaller businesses, smaller to mid-cap businesses, because he feels like the scoreboard is something that's more fun to, to watch it, rather than a large company where it's a little bit more difficult to find out if you're winning or losing, right? So on that note, enjoy technically our first podcast ever, but released second after Jamie Stewart, Scott Millerin. Well, I started in actually in the corporate world, to be honest with you. I think what I, I missed was kind of that ability to see the scoreboard, really know what your impact is every day. In the corporate world, you kind of get, you don't really see each day, you know, the impact of of the bottom line. And I think when you're uh, sitting in a room with two or three other people and you're starting a business, you know exactly 
what your impact is and, and what you need to do to make a difference. So I think I just got that competitive spirit and started to uh, see opportunities and, and pursue those. And, you know, we've always had success. We've never really lost a company despite the ups and downs of the business. But I'm obviously still working, so that, that tells you we never right. really had the, the home run either. But it's been a great deal of fun along the way, and I think that's what's important. Well, he, he, he behind Serial Entrepreneur, he said you're also a serial leader. So leadership for you is something that whether you had the home run or not, it doesn't sound like you would stop doing what you're doing. Well, I think that's what's uh, been so fun is just having the opportunity to work with uh, with so many people in the business. I think – one of the unique aspects of oil field services is you have a lot of passionate people and you don't always see that today in, in any industry, really. I think there's a lot of young guys like like Michael and a few others that I work with that are in their 30s. They're high energy. They want to do great things. And as you get older, those are the kind of people you want to work around and influence and help them prepare for their opportunity to run and lead businesses. Right. Actually, one of the questions that David had when we were preparing for this was the, a challenge that you run into as a leader of companies that are heavily reliant upon people. Because you're not talking about a couple, you know, 10 or 20 people. You're talking about hundreds of people that you're, that you're leading at one time. What are some of the challenges of watching a scoreboard, as you say, with running hundreds of people at the same time? Yeah. So we always say in the business, you know, good people with good equipment is the, the recipe to success. And it's very easily said and, and very difficult to execute on. And you find that you, you can really see the, the performers and, and what's, what's distracting in a really heavy personnel dominated industry is that, you know, a couple bad eggs can really distract you from your focus on being great. So you really want to minimize the, the negatives and focus on the strong people and make sure that you don't let those people distract you from your your objectives of accomplishing certain things. And I, I think that, that that's probably the single largest challenge when you get more than two or three people in a room, there's always drama, you mm -hmm. know, so it's minimizing the drama and executing on the business. You know, it's interesting. You have not talked to Michael about this interview. And as I'm going through the notes I made when I talked to them, it's, it's really interesting to hear you your leadership has clearly been spread to him because he was talking about right equipment, right people, do what we say. And and that's almost the exact answer that you just gave. That's the foundation of the business. And that's where we clicked actually is we really pride ourselves in the fact that we still execute business on a handshake, even though you can't get away with that today. I think that it's very important that when we sit across the table from somebody and, and we say we're going to to execute on a certain thing that we do everything we can to, to do that. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to turn around and say, oh, you can't trust those guys because trust is a very important part, I think, of success in oil field services because it, it's a small industry. You know, yes. I can't tell you as I've, I've gotten older how many times you circle around, you're in a room, like you may not even remember meeting this guy before. And there's someone in there and they pop off and say, yeah, we've we met before and, and, and then uh, you have to backpedal a little bit, but it's a very small industry and it, it comes around numerous times. David, David's got a couple questions here in a second, but right before we let you turn this over to him, I want to finish up with some of the comments that he, he had talked about. I asked Michael, how does Scott define success? And before I read his answers, I'd like to, to get your, because you talk about a daily scoreboard, but then you also talk about the success of your people 
how do you define success when you have shareholders and at the same time you have a, a daily scoreboard? Well, I think you always have to be true to your people. That's that's really the, I think the key. Well, we spend a lot of time talking about, and it's been hard for me because in a small company you tend to micromanage the business, and as you grow, you need to step further and further away. So it's very important you create a culture where you can communicate, and we always talk about what we want to achieve. And you know, it's it's not formal so much as it is the conversation in the business. You know. Who are you? What's your culture? What do you stand for? And then people make good decisions based on that. Okay. So I don't know. Is that what he said? Well, he, he basically <laughs> said by the success of his team. He, and then he said he brings up his people, focuses on his people. And then he said the hard, He said the thing he couldn't understand that you do is how much time you give to people when it feels like you're constantly doing other things, but yet you still have time to delve into people and to bring them up. And I mean, I'm, I, is that something you focus on or is it just a natural leadership trait for you? Well, I, th- I think it's important that you always remember that someone's there trying to make a living, you know, bring something better to their company. So while there's days it's very hard to have a meeting about something that may not really impact your business, I think it's important you take 15 or 20 minutes to, to hear the pitch. But, you know, I always try in a meeting – if someone comes in with a, a PowerPoint deck, I tell them to pick the top three slides. And, and that's what you're <laughs> going to talk about because we're not going to go through the whole deck. And a lot of times, you know, you, you really cut to the chase and have a great conversation because you get rid of all the riffraff. Mm. David may have been on the receiving end of that once or, once or twice. I don't know. No, I think it's I think communication is, is absolutely critical. It's one of the things that we see most often the biggest breakdown in, in most businesses in executing what they're trying to do and communicating their objectives and, and uh, holding people accountable and getting everybody to move in the same direction is, is, is critical in your business because it's so people intensive. Well, I, I think people really appreciate direct feedback. And that's one of the things I've learned. It's hard to tell somebody when they're not doing a good job. You know, it's hard to confront somebody, but the minute you do in a professional way, it's usually a, I had no idea, I will fix that, I'll I'll make a change. And I think that that interaction is just absolutely critical, whether it's with, you know, a salesman, a vendor, or a customer, you just shoot them straight and and then execute on what you say you're going to do. So talk to us about what you're seeing right now in the, in the marketplace. You, your businesses have largely been Permian Basin focused, obviously being on the board of, of Commander, which was a business you helped start in the specialized pumping business. And then now CEO is Bullseye Testing. Talk to us about just the intensity that's occurring out there in terms of, of work and people challenges and, and some of the challenges that you, you, your businesses face. Yeah, there's a there's a long list there. So we can start kind of at the strategic level. I think you see two very different opinions. You have kind of the investor community, the the strategic level guys that are looking at certain things, looking at the money that are going into the businesses. You know, I think for the first time, companies are being pushed in the public markets to deliver on on cash flow performance, and uh, that's caused some of these businesses to maybe act like they're not as busy. I think that uh, strategically people are thinking that it might be lukewarm out there. But when you get on the ground, I think the reality is in a smaller business in certain niches, you're, you're as busy as you want to be. 
there's plenty of work. Uh, there is some pricing pressure right now, but you know, there, there's always pricing pressure. So if you deliver a good service and you, you know what your value is, I think you can get it. And um, that's, that's where the relationships are really key. Uh, the people challenge is just never ending. And I think um, what a lot of companies have basically uh, resigned themselves to do is the local market is, is completely tapped. It's, it's completely saturated. So a lot of businesses have taken the time to commute good people in from other areas. There's a lot of talent, obviously, across the country. And I think uh, the businesses have just decided to, to bite the bullet on lodging and, and you know, commuting and, and get quality people in to do jobs that I don't, I don't think normally would reside in West Texas and what that's done. And you can see it everywhere you go. And in the Permian, it's just really strained the local infrastructure. What, whatever that you look at there is really under stress. All right. Hope you enjoyed Scott Millerin. Uh, thank you, Scott. I know you're definitely listening to this and hope we gave you enough uh, re-air time before he shows up in our office and yells at me and why wasn't he first again? <laughs> yeah, where is he? He's been officing with us a little bit. I love having him around. Yeah. He has been in the uh, the Fletcher Azul podcast studio as much as anybody. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking <laughs> of that, Aaron Marquez. Is that why we have no more Fletcher Azul tequila We have left? no more tequila. I'd hate to put it all on Scott, but I'm sure he bears some responsibility there. Yeah. The next one that we did uh, was up in Fort Worth. This was a unique uh, podcast. This was our first mobile podcast that we did. We did it associated with Doug, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was the Doug Fort Worth conference, yeah. and we did it at the Total Sand Solutions Fort Worth offices, which they were had just finished from construction there at that time. Uh, I don't know where they are, where this stands now, but I'm sure it was. It was one of the more uh, just I don't want to say futuristic, but just really advanced looking facilities that you'll go into. And one of the phrases that they used at that time was they they felt like they were Google with dirt on it. Yeah, uh, this is with Anish and uh, Jamie Pierce, and you are uh, you were you've known these guys a lot. I had never met them before this. I remember being thoroughly impressed with both of them. They were just cool, calm, and collected. Uh, but yeah, that was an interesting thing to do. Mobile. And remember all the noise going on in the background. Yeah, it was freaking me out. They acted like it was no big deal. It was a good conversation. We we might have had a beer while we were having that conversation, and it was a cool space. You know, with the the big screen up there, where they're able to see uh, operations happening in real time and the data that they're getting, I think you know, just a perfect example of kind of the transition in the oil field and how we're working smarter and and not necessarily still working hard, but um, more tactical. And uh, no better person than Jamie Peace, who is a Marsoc guy, Naval Academy grad, uh, just a just a fine human being. And then to have a, a, a partner slash sponsor in the uh, Ortowski boys, Cody and Cole, who need to get their butts on the podcast. Um, you know, they're, they're a great story. But, uh, you know, guys all relatively close to our age that have, that have uh, saw, have seen, you know, opportunities and problems and talking about that, you know, do you remember Jamie? Uh, it was great. So you and I, I was kind of nervous. Like I said, I didn't know these guys. You did. And it was mobile. So there was a lot of moving parts that we were kind of unaccustomed to. And I remember Jamie kind of just lounging in there, sitting down. I don't want to say slouching in the chair, but kind of leaning back in the chair. 
pulling that microphone right up to his face like it was no big deal. And I, and I said, have you ever done with this before? He's like, no, let's do this. And I was like, oh, man, okay. This guy's not afraid of it. I'm the one over here nervous, but he just he killed it. Peace is one of those guys you can throw into any environment, and he's going to be cute, cool as a cucumber, you know, just uh... – He's seen some stuff. So yeah, it not sounded too much, not too much stuff comes at him. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang and Associates is the world's leading executive search firm, totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit danielep.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Well, so enjoy this. Um, this is a little, uh, about a nine-minute clip. And these guys, there's a great story in here that we picked for you guys about how they, they recognized opportunity. And, you know, they, they call it a dumpster fire on fire, but it's really funny to listen to the two banter back and forth about how to go fix it. So enjoy this time and this story with the Total uh, Sand Solution guys. You know, he and I were flying back in 2014 from Philadelphia and very cliche, kind of on the back of a napkin saying, hey, look, how could we do this? better? How can we make this smarter? And that precipitated this whole business plan of buying FTS International sand logistics business away from them. You know, the irony being that had sold our sand mines, our transloads, our rail cars uh, for 350 million in about 2013, 2014, but no one wanted the 500 person last mile logistics business. And so this question was, okay, can we go buy that from FTS and manage it better? And so I left in 2015 from FTS, you know, with kind of a business plan in my hip pocket and you know, this vision of, can I go convince capital sponsors to cut us a check? Can I go convince people that I used to work with to sell me that business? Could not have executed that timing more poorly than I did, you know. Left in May of 2015, by July, oil price was what, $20, $30, barrel lower. Got the private equity sponsor behind me could not convince my former colleagues to sell me the business. So I'm sitting here now wringing my hands trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? The thesis though, just still stuck with me that figuring out sand logistics was absolutely critical to making this industry be the efficient machine that it needed to be. So I was milling around, advising private equity guys on deals, working as a consultant, just trying to keep myself close to the space. So, when Sandbox was acquired by US Silica, got involved in that process, worked a lot with High Crush and thinking about their PropStream and PropX offering. Uh, CIG Logistics was acquired by Energy Capital Partners, worked with Energy Capital Partners on that transaction. Just tried to keep myself relevant and informed in terms of what was going on and ultimately met the Ortowski family in 
early 2017. And the Otaski family had been serial entrepreneurs in the space. You know, for the last 20 years, they had started businesses, you know, Pumpco Services. They had Ortec Manufacturing up in Gainesville. They had sold businesses to Forum uh, and to other private equity firms, uh, as well as strategics in the space. And so they had owned this business for 12, 13 years as a sand logistics business and procurement arm, but hadn't really done anything with it. And so it was supposed to be this one-hour conversation of, hey, we've met you, tell us about your ideas, turn into a full-day working session. And then a couple of months later, I joined over as CEO to then go think about how can we go take this organization and rebuild it into something that's more relevant for today. So, so maybe before we launch in even further, might be a good time to maybe intro Jamie. Jamie, give you a little bit of background, and then y'all talk about kind of the next next chapter. Yeah, absolutely. which is where you were going. <laughs> well, unlike Anisha, my family was not in the oil and gas business. I grew up on a uh, farm on the eastern shore of Maryland, a wholesale tree and shrub nursery that my brother now runs that he took over from my parents. So I essentially have no business being in oil and gas. Uh, I think as far as most people are concerned, but so grew up in the Eastern Shore of Maryland, went to the Naval Academy for college, and then spent nine years in the Marine Corps. Five or six of those years was mostly on the special operations and reconnaissance side. Got to deploy around the world, kind of leading people and solving problems that had very undefined definitions of success and kind of accomplishing, you know, hopefully the impossible with as few assets as as, as you could you could imagine. So it yeah, that was great. But at the same time, it was you know, 2001 to 2010. You know, I got commissioned a couple months before 9-11 and then spent the next nine years of my life kind of deploying, training and deploying my butt off around the world. And it was awesome. I mean, I had to do, I had to do five years coming out of the Naval Academy. I ended up doing nine because I was having so much fun with the opportunities that I had at hand. Uh, but eventually got burnt out. And what does one do when they leave the... Uh, the military these days, it seems like everybody's going to business school. So I, I headed down that path to try and figure out what it is that real people do for real jobs uh, when they're not shooting guns and blowing things up. <laughs> so I get to uh, business school and I, I only know two things. I don't want to be a banker and I don't want to be a consultant. And But I had no idea what other opportunities were out there. And a buddy of mine who was a year ahead of me by the name of Alex Sonnenberg, who I know we all know, said, dude, you ought to look at energy. It's in uh, it's in Texas. They like veterans, and sure enough, I start heading down this path of yeah, I can wrap my head around this. There's there's stuff in the ground. We got to get it out, and there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of operations and logistics, and just leadership that has to happen in order to make make that happen. So I started heading down that path and find myself long like long story short, run into a niche and end up interning at at FTS as the world's oldest intern. <laughs> yeah, I think I was. I was 30 or 31 years old as an intern. Yeah, they offered me a full-time position to come back after I finished school. You know, spent my first year at FTS, literally just bouncing around the company, doing everything from every engineering class that they had to offer to going to every district and working on a frat crew for you know two, three, four weeks. You know, the first frat crew I was on, I was on the night shift of a uh, fleet in the Haynesville uh, doing frat jobs for Anadarko. It was just like an extra equipment operator. And very quickly, you know, my call sign over the radio is, hey, corporate, get your ass over here. We need you to do this. But, you know, doing that and doing it like walking a mile in their shoes, you know, that was something certainly kind of the type of leadership, you know, type of humility that I learned in the Marine Corps. And you've got to be able to, to walk to walk in, in order to talk to talk. And 
go spend time with those guys, really understand what the business is all about. You know, did that around the country on a bunch of different frat crews. And ultimately, you know, got the opportunity to lead lead operations within FTS. Got that opportunity, went headlong into the downturn, you know, along that time. And Ish and I were working together on some of these ideas. You know, ironically, I think he conveniently forgets that when he and I were trying to come up with ideas of, of how we were going to go take over the world, he really wanted to do chemicals at first. And I had to like smack him in the head and be like, dude, we spent $44 million on demurrage in 2014. Like there's an opportunity in sand to do this a little bit better. But anyway, so off we, off we started working on that, you know, and he jumped ship to, to try and get that going. In the meantime, there's a whole lot of leadership changes that happened at FTS and you know, COO, the new COO at the time, you know, threw me the keys to the second or third largest frack fleet in the country at about two years in and said, Hey, you're going to run frack ops for me. I reminded him, I was like, I've only been doing this for two years. He said, you'll be fine. And that was a long, long three years of writing that ship. I mean, you know, everybody had seen like the death list that was going around all the companies that were going to go bankrupt because they had $1.4 billion worth of debt. And it was a lot of fun turning that company around, figuring out how to make things work better, building efficiencies in, adopting new technologies, building a better team, providing better leadership, and just executing against a plan and KPIs that really mattered. You know, utilization, pumping hours per pumping day, all those things that you know they subscribe to today and you know ultimately were were the drivers that that got us to the profitability that we needed to be in order to get the company public literally about a year ago. That was a ton of fun. I had a great time doing that. But post IPO, it was kind of, you know, Anisha you know, for six months prior to us getting the IPO, he's like, dude, I landed in this new company. You need you need to come join me. You need to come join me. I'm like, you know, pump the brakes, dude. We we got I got this thing in the works over here. We got to get it done. I, I I'm not done here yet. And then once once the IPO was done, you know, it made sense for for me to then take another opportunity with the encouragement of of, of my old boss. You know, he's like, you'd be stupid not to not to give it a shot. Here I am. I've been here for about thirteen months. We've been executing on the plan of building this thing as 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 strong and and quickly, and you know, building the processes that make it so that we can repeatably execute on location for customers. So. You've and, been here 13 months. And Anish, how long have you guys been around total? So I joined maybe 16 months ago. Let me see if I'm doing my math right. You know, 16, 17 months ago on a, uh, November 1st, 2017. And you know, worth noting when Jamie joined in March of 2018, you know, we were driving around ops and he looked at me and he was like, what the fuck, dude? You didn't tell me this place was such a dumpster fire. <laughs> like, what have you been doing for the last five months? And I just kind of looked at him and was like... Waiting for you, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we are moving towards our last um, podcast of 2019. Believe it or not, we spent the better part of the rest of the year. We had so much momentum exiting this particular interview uh, that you're about to hear that it really did set the trend for what we were going to do for the rest of the year. There was so much excitement about it. We were invited to do live shows at LAGCO after this. We were invited to do live shows at Doug right around the same time. But this is our uh, live show that we did at OTC 2019. 
Um, this was with you were you're busy during the OTC. I don't do you even go down to the OTC? Is that something that you attend like on the floor? Yeah, dude. I had to remember I had my uh staph infection I got your shoulder uh, in London and and remember it was my 40th birthday and we had the big OTC party and I had James and Murtry come play. That's right. I couldn't really even get to enjoy it because I'd just been in the hospital. They let my my wife let me come hang out for look like a zombie for you an hour. you were zombie ish i remember that now now <laughs> but these... we raised some money and had a good time had a yeah for party. sky high for saint jude and uh yeah by the way congratulations to our good friend now mrs franklin who that's right married Brittany a bear is now yeah. Brittany franklin she... great organization Sincerely suggest you look them up. Sky High for kids. Yep. And uh, yeah, if you don't know what that job. charity is, it's an excellent job. So this next one you're going to hear is with uh, Dan Henderson, uh, president of Henderson Oil Field Products. Dan uh, is a friend of mine for many years. I knew his father. I recognize that in the podcast. I, I don't think the old Doyle's right. Yep, yeah. Doyle's. So his dad was Doyle, and um, there is the voice you hear is not David's in this one. This was our old partner, Trey Smith, again, who has moved on to better, bigger and better, but still buddies with us. And our corporate attorney, Jordan Strauss, was general counsel for Axon, who bought Doyle's. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. It, it really is a small world. It's like, by the way, Jordan world. has been involved in a lot of different things. Well, that's why Jordan is our guy. Yeah, that's a good point. This, see, this is, I'll tell you, this it's been an, I'm telling this has been an unbelievable year. It just really has. Uh, the, the doors that have opened up. Well, the podcast studio is done. It's now the Fletch Azul podcast studio. We're going to be coming to you live with 4K video. Yep. Not live. We're going to always have uh, the right to edit. <laughs> we need a delay. Pretty good. We, ward, wardrobe malfunctions. We need access to that. But everything's cool. I mean, this is, I mean, kind of a little, little ridiculous and over the top, but. Uh, That's what we do. And we're also working on some mobile you know, technologies yep. and some dial-in stuff. And I cannot believe the amount of people that are calling us, begging to get on the podcast yeah. and talk about their company. So whenever and, and and we're and and that's awesome and cool and and we'll 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 get around all that stuff. But I think we're really kind of focused on making sure we get these stories out about these folks that that have contributed and continue to contribute to the energy industry into quite frankly, our country as a whole, because that's an important, important story, but it's pretty powerful to see how this medium of podcast is, is really wouldn't say it's in its infancy, but it's definitely in its, its childhood. It's and how definitely it, how it's childhood, growing. Yes. And uh, to be part of that's kind of cool. So just so, so you know, never thought it would be. we're in uh, we're in over 80 countries. We're in uh, almost Nebraska for some reason won't download us. I don't know what's going on in Nebraska, but we're in almost 50 states. Jonathan needs to. Does any, if anybody knows somebody in Nebraska, in Nebraska, yeah, please tell them to download us because I want to be in all 50 states. I can't figure it out. Uh, but we are. It's absolutely blown up. You're gonna. We're gonna finish off with Dan here. One of the things that Dan says that I love, and actually, it's been a great comment that I just kind of took with me from the interview. He he talks about the desire to take risk and why to do it. And one of his comments is he had to realize that, you know, they're not going to eat you. Whoever they is, they're not going to eat you. And I, the way he says it, 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 it's spot on. And you kind of realize that take a chance. Some of what we did with this podcast, take a chance. They're not going to eat you. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to sound like crap. You're allowed to stammer through certain things, admit to the guests. I mean, this is what we've done. And I'm telling you, I, I just appreciate the vulnerability of our guests, the hosts. I would agree. 
I don't so, know who talks more, you or Dan, but but to your point, I mean, Dan, Dan, um, has got a good point, and I think it's it's again what I said at the beginning of this is that it's these these little nuggets that come out of these conversations with people that need to be broadcasted, you know, whatever, however you want to relate to it, whatever, but the fact they're not going to eat you, you know, and get back on if you get bucked off. And, you know, mine is, it's not hard to do. It's not worth doing. I think people need to realize that stuff that has any value to you, uh, you got to fight for it. You got to work for it. And, and it's worth fighting for and working hard for and, Hopefully we see more of that come this way. Well, on that note, we're going to let you finish off here with the Dan Henderson's about, I think it's around a nine to 10 minute interview with Dan. Uh, this was live from the floor of OTC 2019. Very hard to stay focused, but enjoy this. And we'll see in just a second. We just give them a couple of chances. And then if they can't come to the table, they got to go. Well, I'm actually, you, you, you know, culture people in this, and look, I love this industry, but I, and I, I won't even be specific to this industry. In general, people don't know, they use the word culture interchangeably, like people use the word sales and I'm a salesperson or I'm a business development person or I'm a marketing person. The word culture, you know, essentially is just a common set of beliefs, mm -hmm. if you will, values that are aligned by a, a group of people. It's not business processes. It's not methodologies that you go out into the market from a marketing standpoint. It truly is values almost, or not almost, it's values. Well, when you start running a company, and particularly if you have any more than you, okay, and whatever values you subscribe to, you're going to have to work really hard, and it's impossible to scale. If you like companies like, we have five values. This is what we value. Right. You can't scale that. Every time a company doubles in size, you, you marginalize your your culture. Mm -hmm. And so that's going back to small giant is, you know, just what are you willing to compromise in order to be whatever that is, be it big, be it wealthy, be it an exit. We want to hire this badass sales guy or this new marketing firm, or we want to go into a different market. If there's ever a risk, particularly international market, if there's a risk that your culture gets compromised, our team, our team is very quick to protect that. You know, it's Bo Burlingham calls it mojo. You know, I don't know why I thought this conversation was going to be about technical things. No. It, we, I, I asked you that. I was I'm like, like, no. I, I can get off all the end all that, but no, I don't think people really care about You know, that. I don't want it. Obviously, it's too late now, but like as I'm listening to this, it's, Dan, you are unique on this front and you do share a lot. And I, I'm glad that, you know, we're going to, this podcast is called Oil Fill 360. Let me do the technical piece in 30 seconds. No, no hang okay. on, hang on, buddy. Because I want I want to just kind of summarize this to you that okay. like this is part of what I want to get across. And you mentioned this maybe four or five hours ago in this podcast when you brought up the fact that, you know, how much we care about this industry. Yeah. Because we do care about it. You know, Trey and I personally care about it. I know you care about it. And one of the one of the 360 degrees of oil filled podcast is the leadership and mm -hmm. the culture. Like I want people to understand. I want them to hear that some guys or girls may never have a chance to meet you. That's and, that's where I was coming from. Yeah. One, one of the things that me personally, I've benefited from our friendship is I tell people, young entrepreneurs, when they come talk to me, I said, look, I, in some cases, I've already swam the Amazon, right? Yeah, for sure. I can tell you where the landmines are yeah. at. I can tell you where the snakes are at. and because we could we could switch roles here, and your story and your, your, your story your is crazy. Your man. story is I mean, it's so interesting. That's why yeah. I've been quiet. Yeah, I'm just letting yeah. you tell my story. Yeah, but for the people like Josh says, there's a bunch of 
not just business people out there. There's young entrepreneurs out there who see are seeing opportunities, and they're mm-hmm. going to lead the next wave behind us. And entrepreneurs, by the way, that's, that's right. A, that's, that's a new word. Even, I didn't know no, about that. No, that's just as important. Yeah, and that's for sure. So here's like where I want to go. Here is maybe you can talk about your tech stuff later, but I got you now. So okay, go. What I want to know is talking to talking to me, talking to yourself, talking to other entrepreneurs out there. What have you learned through your successes and failures about all your predictions of worst case scenario, all of the bad things you've been through, all the high times you've been through, all the things you thought had value, didn't have value, all the monsters out there. How have you been able to overcome the fear that it takes to do what it what you've been able to do in entrepreneurial business? And what tool sets do you go to now to still overcome those same scary monsters that are in the dark to let you keep pushing forward with positive energy. I've never overcome the fear. That's, that's number one. Okay. But at the risk of not being humble. Okay. I would say to the first part of that question, I'm enough. I realized later in my, let me put it this way, later in my young adult life. Okay. That I'm enough. Because what I realized is that a lot of the, not forget success and failure, but the drive, the motivation, what was motivating me to have this insatiable appetite to do something? Arguably, some of that's natural, okay? But, but I found that in, in my own reflection, that a lot of that had to do with not having a, a healthy self-worth, not confidence, I've never had, they're very different things, right? And so to the first part of the question, I would say that I'm enough no matter what, no matter what success or failure, success that I have, because we're never really measured by our failures. We only grow through them. And as a result of them, we're measured in life and by our peers and by the industry, by our success, right? So I'm saying with humility, that I don't really care because what's most important to me isn't what any of these people, these 60,000 people that we're going to experience here at OTC this year, think of me as a human ever or as a business person or an entrepreneur. So second part of it is, you know, tools and skill sets that I've learned. Yeah, of course, I'm not the young entrepreneur that I was. I've got a lot of scars financially, spiritually, mentally, you know, physically as a result of the pain that comes from being an entrepreneur and being a risk taker, because that's ultimately what it is. You know, as you get older and become more seasoned, you take more calculated risk because it's not you, it's you and not just the hundreds of people that work for you, but it's all their kids, all their futures. You know, it's so it's a big responsibility and you have to be careful about that. But, you know, as going back to when I went to UT Austin the first year, which I was just incredibly honored to go do, because think about it. We just, we're talking about impact. I'm not a public speaker. Okay. You can probably tell (laughs) as a result of this podcast, but you know, I'm not a public speaker, but I don't have a problem talking. I don't have a problem expressing my opinion. You know, I have a lot of practice. I don't need a preparation. I mean, I know what I know, not because someone told me so. So I get down there because I'm invited to talk about entrepreneurship with a group of petroleum engineers. And so 
just the first part of the exercise was I said, when I say this word, okay, they don't know what word I'm going to say. I'm going to say a word here in a minute. And when I do, I want 25 hands of the 80, 100 people that are in the room to go up, and I want you to tell me the word that you thought of. So what's the word, Trey? Put you on the spot. Entrepreneurship. That's what I'm there to talk about. They know that. You would think that these all these smart kids would know. So every word, as you can imagine, that I put up on that board was something sexy. And 25, 30 words later, things like power, you know, money, wealth, influence, women, men, whatever, you know, just the accumulation of everything in a moment that people identify and associate with being successful. I said, exactly not. So then I T-bar this thing and say, now imagine, I'm not going to go through it, guys, but imagine the opposite of every one of those words. And that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't even know what it was. That's how ignorant I was. So the tools are, this is the big takeaway because I don't know how we're doing on time, but I feel like I'm rushed. (laughs) You like that, didn't you? This is the big takeaway for me. If I had had just one moment to answer that quickly, I would have said, I'm afraid all the time. You know, meaning I got to get up and overcome that. I talk about, I preached myself happy more often than I preach other people happy and, and also encourage, you know, that kind of thing. But I just realized as a result of all these experiences that no one's going to eat me. There is no worst case scenario. Yeah. There, I mean, other than a death, which I won't experience and I got good insurance. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm going to be okay. And so, and there is no, I don't think that you could coach somebody up around that. I mean, when you're dealing yeah. with it, you know, when you're just in it, and I'll be quite candid with you. I mean, you know, we just got selected to be this Forbes small company, you know, business of 19. And we internally are dealing with some real difficult things, you know, as it relates to letting people go. And and we talked about that. It's like, how do we celebrate? How do we yeah. be recognized for this? But at the same time, we've got people that, you know, are going homes and telling their, you know, not, I mean, and then some of that stuff is partly for what, how we've managed parts of the business, you know, and it's, uh, we, we felt that same way during the downturn. Yeah. There, was, there was definitely the math on the table that we weren't going to make it. Yeah. It's math. And, yeah. and it was, you know, I was speaking at that conference in London and they asked me, they said, when did you know you were out of the downturn? I said, well, when, when I stopped throwing up in the shower, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's kind of when, but I don't, you know, but we, st- we still, God, don't know. Hot mess, we still don't know when to celebrate, you know, often, you know? we yeah. don't know when to celebrate. Well, well, and I will just, so exactly. You know, and so that's what I've struggled with more than anything in this industry is as you do, as you're intentional about building a culture that not only people want to come and be part of internally, you know, as part of your team, but also externally that people are thinking, they, they don't even know what it is. I mean, yeah, in fact, George Foster said to me the other day, a couple of years ago, in fact, I think it was, I think you might've even been there when they did the BMA awards or whatever. And George Foster, as I was walking in, he was walking out. He says to me, Hey, Dan, Dan, Dan come here. Yeah, George, what's going on? Hey, I just want to let you know, man, you know, 15 years ago when you came out into this and like, I, you know, I was, you know, you were just out there, man. You were just out there. He says, and I got to tell you, brother, now you're just there. So that was uh, Dan Henderson live from the floor of OTC 2019. And, you know, again, I, I just, we were just kind of talking in between the edits here. It's, it has been an unbelievable pleasure 
to to get to know these guys. And my, I think my favorite comment or favorite, I shouldn't say comment, tidbit from season one, 2019, was the Jamie Stewart story about him leaving the family business, realizing that everything he'd ever wanted from 13 to, at that point, 34, 33, whatever he was, wasn't going to happen the way he wanted it to happen. And I, I've personally been through something similar to that through my family's business. And I just remember hearing him say that going, man, I know how tough that is. That's, that to me impacted me the most. And what he, and what he told me afterwards, you know, a couple of weeks after was he's never told anybody that story. And here's that story that is so impactful to him and personal to him. And what does he do? He gets on a podcast and tells the whole world. It's pretty amazing. And I think it's a testament to the, not to brag or complain, but the environment that we've created and also the dynamic and the relationship that we have with a lot of our guests. Um, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of these folks are people I've known for a long time, our, our clients, our friends. Um, and so when you and I have that ability, unlike some of these other interviews where they don't really know these people, they've just asked them on and they've agreed to come on, you know, you get the questions and answers and this, that, and the other, but a lot of the feedback we have had from people, um, is, you know, just feels like you're just having a conversation, you know, uh, sitting around, you know, having drinks or at dinner or, yeah. you know, whatever, which is, which is kind of nice. And, uh, you mentioned OTC, obviously we're, we're in July of 2020 and, uh, no crawfish bowls, no nope. OTC, no, NOV. Nope. no, none of the, none of this, none of the stuff that, that even in a bad market, the industry usually finds some knuckleheads like you and I to, to get everybody together and just, just, celebrate the fellowship that yep. the industry has created and, and bring people together. It's not about, you know, spending money for the sake of spending money and this, that, and the other. This industry is all about people. We talk about that in our intro and our outro. And, and I hope that that is the one thing that comes out in all this is that most people on our, in our business truly do care about the people. And it's hard to say that some for some folks with, you know, having to make adjustments in their business to try to even survive, to maybe even offer employment to folks again in the future. But there's got to we got to do something to try to prevent the cyclicality of the of the business as deep as it as it cycles down. And uh, it's it's tough right now. Yeah, and, it is. and it's it's really it's really unfortunate that uh, we 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 don't have the ability to get together in groups right now. So hopefully, hopefully our podcasts give you a little bit of comfort. Uh, give you a little bit of hope uh, for those that are, you know, trying to figure out what's next. There's some really good messaging in, in all of the conversations that we've had. And again, the guest list of the people we have coming out in the future is just, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait for the continued uh, conversations. We're having a lot of fun doing this. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, nobody wants to buy fluidins right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wish you, I, you know, I we're doing this for, I think we're doing it for the right reasons. I mean, I really do think we are, we're taking the messages out there that need to be heard by people that wouldn't ordinarily hear them. Well, I think it was Bruce Ross, or it might've been Corny Dupree told me this a while back. I think it was, might've been Bruce, but you know, people in this industry realize who comes and goes and they remember. And just because 
times are tough doesn't give you any excuse to get out. And it doesn't give you any excuse to not continue to do the right thing. And so, you know, you and I both continue to support the industry. It's challenging, but it's not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And I think the people that we engage with hopefully aren't going anywhere. But, um, you know, it's it's important, I think, that we do this and, it's, and, and more of it needs to be done. Jonathan, did you hear the way he said that? That sounded pretty... That was that was strong. I had, I've never heard that before. They know that's a great way of saying it because there is a, I want to say a loyalty to the business, right? But I mean, you certainly want to be able to, it's just like anything in life. You're going to get out what you put into it. And mm -hmm. it's been good to us. We want to be good to it. So um, unless you have anything else, Mr. No, just, uh, just support the, the energy industry. Uh, oil and gas makes modern life possible. That's my hashtag. And I wish more people would push that out there because- uh, I think people are absolutely clueless to how important a strong domestic energy industry is to our country. Quality of life, national security. Yeah, the gas might be a little bit more costly at the pump, but guess what? That usually means that there's greater consumption. That usually means people are employed and they have the income to do things. So don't be a taker, be a giver, get off your butt, get back to work doing something. And let's make this country strong. And that's an apolitical statement. Yeah, but, I agree uh, with that. No, it's it's a uh, it, the show is apolitical, and we root for we root for everybody. So, David, this is um, this is our first. We're only six months late for the wrap up of 2019. <laughs> we did pretty good, Jonathan. You have been amazing, and I mean that. Uh, we we hooked up with you probably mid year last year, late October time frame, I guess. Um, so just, you guys don't really understand behind the scenes how much Jonathan does for us. So publicly recognizing, if you've noticed a production value that has gone up between episodes one through four to now, that is uh, Jonathan and uh, all the work that he's put into it. So thank you, sir. We really appreciate it. Uh, David, I, I love doing this with you. It's a great deal. And, uh, it's, it's been fun. We've had our, we've had our, our struggles and our disagreements and different things, but we always, you know, you can always tell, and this is something I think is worth talking about. You can always tell um, the difference between a quality relationship uh, and and one that that's that's troubled. If you can't sit and 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 share your opinions, thoughts, and stuff with your partner, they get upset. They might not get upset or whatever. And and you you ultimately come back. To, you come to an agreement, compromise, whatever, or give it some time. I mean. That's why awesome. You, why do you say that I like to talk? I feel like I feel like you're taking the title of the guy who likes to talk here. Well, you know, I just, just like the sound of my voice. Yeah. That's yeah. different. You like to talk. I really enjoy to hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, we are shutting it down. Victoria, please approve this one. Uh, uh, she probably won't. Yeah, but Simmons, all of our great spot praying. I mean, we've got some phenomenal sponsors. Uh, Fletch Azul, Tomahawk, Lockton, Galtway, who else? Uh, Merit Advisors, Range. Yeah, we've got a. Am I missing? Uh, Daniel Energy Partners. We got a bunch of people that also want to sponsor us. Yeah, uh, it's it's been crazy. We just we've got the best partners out there. I hope I'm not missing somebody. I kind of went through them pretty quickly. World Oil. I, I was about to miss them. We just appreciate everybody and all the support that they've given us over the last 12 months. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. You guys enjoy your summer. We'll be back next week. Uh, with another edition of the Oil Fill 360 podcast. So that wraps us up. If you have any questions, uh, email David at david at oilfill360.com.
oilfield360.com. If you have any comments about how great the show is, email josh at josh at oilfield360.com. Thank you, Fletcher Azul and the Fletcher Azul Podcast Studio. Uh, That's it. Have a great day. This episode of the Oilfield 360 Podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, Please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler and Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and Company and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.